Good morning and happy Mother's Day. And we're so glad you're tuning in this morning. We hope you have your mother with you. We hope you're treating her extra special today. We're just going to move right into communion. This morning I want to read from Corinthians chapter 10. This is what it says. It says, My cherished friends, keep on running far away from idolatry. I know I'm writing to thoughtful people, so carefully consider what I say. For when we pray for the blessing of the communion cup, isn't this our co-participation with the blood of Jesus? And the bread that we distribute, isn't this the bread of our co-participation with the body of Christ? For although we are many, we become one loaf of bread and one body as we feast together on one loaf. This morning as we move into communion together, I want us to take time to remember that even though we're scattered across many houses, many rooms, many living rooms around the island, uh, even as far as Galliano, um, and maybe even further than that, that as we take communion together, we are partaking, we are co-participating in the blood and body of Christ. As one body together, no matter where we are, we get this incredible privilege And my hope this morning is that as you take communion, you're reminded again of just the incredible meaning and significance that this this event has. That this actually is the body and blood of Jesus that we're remembering and that we are co-participants, that we're partaking with him. And my prayer this morning for you is that you would experience what real communion with Jesus looks like, what that means in your life. And so I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to take the elements together. So if you haven't yet, grab something from your house, uh, whatever's on hand, if it's coffee, tea, um, juice, something to drink, and uh, and grab something as well to represent the bread. Maybe it's a cracker, maybe it's a, a piece of cake. But we're going to take this together this morning as one body, spread across many living rooms. So Jesus, I just thank you this morning. We thank you for your blood and your body that were spilled and broken for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're present in every single room this morning. And I pray that as we take communion together, that you would just show us, that you would reveal to us this morning what it looks like to live in communion with you. what it looks like to live in communion with your presence, with your life, with your resurrection life, what it looks like to live in communion with your broken body, with your surrender, with your service. I ask that you would just come and just speak to us this morning as we remember. Thank you, Jesus. This morning as we take communion, Uh, we take what's called open communion, which means that if you have put your faith in Jesus and and you have chosen to follow him, then we want to welcome you to the communion table. And we realize this is different in that it's in your houses. And what we're remembering is that Jesus, just before he went to the cross for you and I to pay for all of our sins and wrong choices, he had a meal with his disciples. And partway through the meal, he took uh, the bread. This was a Passover meal, remembering the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt. 
And so Jesus, at the, at the meal, he took the bread and he broke it. And he, he said to his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. And so this morning we remember by, by eating this together, we remember and we are co-participants with Christ in his broken body. So Jesus, we just thank you for your body that was broken for us. We just take time to remember and to say thank you and to position our lives to be co-participants with you so we can experience the benefits of your life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the bread together. And then it continues on in the story and it says, after they had eaten, Jesus took a cup. And he said, this is the cup that represents my, this, this is my blood which represents the new covenant or brokers a new covenant between God and man. And it's a covenant where we can actually approach God, not by our own merit or our own uh, right choices, but in spite of everything we've done, we can approach God because of what Jesus has done, because of his blood that was, that was spilt for us. And this morning as we take this, I want us just to, to take a moment to remember. You know, in, in the passage we read out of Corinthians, Paul continues and he talks about how you can't have communion with Jesus and with idols or with demons. When we take this, it's a reminder that this is what our life is about, that it's about being co-participants with Jesus, partnering with Him, walking with Him, following Him. And it actually represents a life change uh, that's happened, a transformation that's happened in our lives. And so this morning as we take this, I just want us to, to remember that and to just give thanks for the life change, for the transformation that God is doing and has done in our lives. So Jesus, we thank You for Your blood that was spilt for us. We thank you that we can celebrate and we can remember because of what you did, not because of what we have done. And we just give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink together. I could not ask for a better place to wrap up our series than right here on this beach. It's so magnificent. It's sunny. It's beautiful. Let's just pray together to start. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. We thank you that you're here with us right now, in the room, wherever we are. That you are present. We praise you for who you are. We give you thanks that you are so glorious and so good. That you're so faithful. We thank you that you're a provider. And we just celebrate you for all that you are. Jesus, there's, there's so much to say, so much to be grateful for to you, for who you are. And so we just thank you this morning. We give you praise, we give you thanks, we celebrate you. We invite you to speak to us, to draw us into resurrection life this morning. To speak to us about what you have for us. But more so to speak about who you are.
and reveal yourself to us. We just want you more, Jesus. We want to know you more. We want to draw closer to you and become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as I hinted at last week, we're going to be looking at the calling of God on our lives, on each one of our lives. And you know, some of the common questions are, what is God calling me to do? Or what is his will for my life? Uh, What about my failure? What about if I've screwed up? Does he still want me? And I want to let you know this morning that this message is good news. It's good news for the one who doesn't measure up, the one who fails more times they can, who's failed more times than they can count. This is good news for those who mess up, who don't feel like they belong in church, for those who feel like they can never meet the mark, or who look at perfection as something that is unattainable. This message is for you. Turn with me this morning to John 21. We're going to start at verses 1 to 14. This is what it says. It says, Later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. And Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, We'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. He called out to them saying, Hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. And Jesus shouted to them, Throw your net over to the starboard side, and you'll catch some. And so they did, as he said, and they caught so many many fish, they couldn't even pull in the nets. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him. And, he, and because he was athletic, or some translations say because he was naked, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about a hundred meters. And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. And then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was, because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. So in this passage we have Peter, who has been following Jesus for three years and has said things like, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never leave you. But then we know just before Jesus' trial that he gets asked three times if he is a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And three times he denies. And we don't know where Peter is. We know, we know on the morning uh, that, the, that the women go to the tomb, we know that Peter is the first one of the, of the male disciples to run to the tomb. That him and John run there. But they don't see Jesus. Uh, and we don't have any information about where he is when Jesus appears in the upper room or in the locked room that we talked about last week. 
But we can guess that from Peter's response to, are you a follower of Jesus? And the almost lack of excitement that the beginning of this passage talks about, that, that he is feeling discouraged, he is feeling like he is just not good enough to be a disciple of Jesus. So he might as well go back and go back to fishing. But what's incredible about this passage is that Jesus comes and he meets him at the edge of the shore. Why this is incredible? Because if you look at Luke chapter 5, Jesus performs exactly the same miracle when he calls Peter the first time. The very first time he calls, he's teaching on the beach and he asks Peter to push out his boat so that Jesus can teach from the boat. And as he's teaching, he says, well, have you caught anything? And Peter's like, no, we haven't. And, and Jesus says, well, throw your net on the other side. And Peter's like, well, we've been fishing all night and we haven't gotten anything. We're tired. But because you said it, we'll do it. And so he does it. And they have such a miraculous catch of fish that it almost sinks two boats. They actually called John and James over. And from that moment on, Jesus says, come and follow me. And that's the very beginning of Peter's journey of following Jesus. And here... Three years later, Peter has denied Christ. He's rejected him in front of people. And I'm sure he's remembering the words of Jesus that say, if you reject me before people, I will reject you before the Father. Discouraged, disappointed in himself, in his own failings, he goes fishing. And Jesus comes and he performs the same miracle as the first time he called him. Now you would think this would be an incredibly profound moment for Peter. What? Jesus came to find me. Jesus met me where I'm at. Not only that, he performed the same miracle from last time he called me. And yet, it's almost as if Peter doesn't recognize Jesus, that his discouragement and his disappointment in himself has limited his ability to hear the voice of the Master. And it's not until John says, it is the Lord, that Peter gets up and he wraps his cloak around him and he dives into the water, so eager to work his way back to Jesus. He swims the hundred meters, he gets there, Jesus says, go grab some fish, even though there's already fish on the fire, which I love, I love that Jesus provides that. And he wades back into the water and he pulls the fish back in. And we don't know if he sat there and counted the fish or if Jesus just said, hey, there's 153 fish and they went and had breakfast. We don't know that. But what we do see is we see Peter's excitement at seeing the Lord, his desire to work his way back. And in this moment we see from Jesus a repeat of the same miracle, almost a recalling of Peter, going back to the moment that he was called, bringing him back to the point where he first met Jesus, his first love. If we continue in John 21, verses 15, it says, After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. 
And Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? And Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Now, what we don't realize in reading this, but is evident in the Greek, is that Jesus, talking to Peter, he uses the word agape, which is a burning, passionate love. Remember, Peter, just a few days ago, had stood by Jesus' side and said, if all others abandon you, I surely will not. I will go to the grave with you. I will go wherever you're going. I will follow you. He was so passionate and, and fired up about following Jesus. And here in this moment, Jesus is saying, are you passionately in love with me? And the sadness in this moment is that Peter's response is, I'm fond of you. He uses the word phileo, which is like brotherly love, to, to love someone like a brother. He knew in himself that he cared for Jesus. He cared for this man who he had followed for three years. But he wasn't so sure that he had the burning love that would sustain him, that he had thought just a few days earlier he had. And so Jesus asks him again, do you burn with love for me? And Peter responds, I'm fond of you, Jesus. And then the third time, and so Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, My Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. And Jesus replied, Then feed my lambs. In this final time, Jesus brings himself down to Peter's level. He uses the word phileo. He says to Peter, Peter, are you fond of me? He meets Peter where he's at. And and it's such a sad moment in that, that... Jesus is calling Peter up to a great burning passion. But in order to restore Peter, he first comes down to his level. To just saying, okay, if you're not burning, then are you at least fond of me? You know, I think it's important that we need to recognize that Jesus needs to hear us say that we love him. There's a whole restoration process that's happening here, but just on the surface, I think it's important that we understand Jesus needs to know that we love Him. He wants us to say it. He wants to know that we love Him. And He'll meet us where we're at. You know, sometimes when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we make wrong choices, and we think that we've failed, that we're no longer measure up to the perfect standard of Christ, we can kind of take that position of Peter of where we think, you know, God, I'm, I'm fond of you. I don't know that I have that burning passion that will sustain me, but I am fond of you. And Jesus meets us there and he says, are you fond of me? To which Peter can finally say, I am. And they, they have this moment of meeting at the same level. But he doesn't leave Peter there. You see, this is the great news for every single one of us. That while Jesus meets us where we're at, That God loves to use broken people, but He doesn't leave them there. We're not left in our brokenness. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a child or a grandparent, whatever your relational uh, 
picture is, you know, I, I often, as a, as a father, I, I think, man, I have failed as a father. I've messed this up. You know, I know moms, some of you have felt that way. You look at the picture-perfect mom and you thought, you know, I'm just not there. If I can get coffee in my system and I can get going this morning, I'm doing pretty good. Maybe homeschooling has brought this out of you and you've realized, wow, there's, there's a whole other dynamic here. I've recognized something in myself. But Jesus wants to meet you exactly where you are. He's not confused or surprised by your mistakes and your failings, by your sin. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last week. He knows the course that your life has taken up until this point. Jesus knew that Peter had denied him. He knew he had rejected him. And yet Jesus still comes to meet him where he is. The good news is that God loves to use broken people. He loves to use failures. The main reason is because there's no other kind of people. But the good news about that is that while he loves to use them, he never leaves them in the place where he found them. As we continue reading, after Jesus said, then feed my lambs, Peter, he, he continues, he says, Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you pleased. But one day when you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you would not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. And Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. You see, in this moment, Peter doesn't know if he has what it takes to continue following Jesus. And Jesus declares over him. He First he meets him where he's at, and then he declares, Peter, you're going to die for me. I see what's in your heart. I see where you're at. And you are going to give up your life to follow after me. Jesus prophesied in this moment that Peter would be crucified. And and we know from church history that that Peter wasn't just crucified, but he so didn't want to, he, he felt so unworthy that he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy of dying the same way Jesus did. And so actually, from church history, we know that Peter was actually crucified upside down. That he gave up his life, that he went from yes, I'll go with you anywhere, to denying Jesus, to then not sure how much love he actually had for Jesus. To Jesus saying, I know, I see where you're going. I see the love and the passion you have. Perhaps Peter wasn't sure where he stood with Jesus anymore in this moment, but Jesus promised that Peter would passionately follow him. In that moment, Jesus saw the humility of Peter's heart. And in that moment, he restores him. The good news for you this morning is that wherever you're at, whatever you've done, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was last week, maybe you're thinking, you know, I just, could God even still love me after what I've done, how I've lived? And God is ready to meet you. Jesus is ready to meet you right where you're at. But He's not going to leave you there. He's going to take you. He's going to call you and He's going to take you to all 
something so much greater. He knows your doubt. He knows your fear. But his response is, I forgive you. Not because he should, or not because you deserve it, but because that is just how great he is. That's how much love he has for you. You know, pride says, my sin is too great to be forgiven. But humility looks at our lives, and and humility looks like surrender. And when we take a posture of humility, God is able to actually uh, come into our lives and and meet us at that point, and restore us, and, and bring restoration. That's His goal in your life, is to bring restoration, to bring something so much greater than what you could imagine. What you thought was too broken to be used, God will restore into something beautiful. You see, God gives each one of us a calling, just like the calling of Peter here. Peter is called to care for the lambs of Jesus, to feed the sheep, and to care for the sheep. He's called away from his old life into something new. So what is he calling you to, you might ask? Or maybe another way to say it is, what is God's will for your life? In Matthew 28, 19-20, this is what it says. It says, Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. In Mark 16, 15-18, now all of these passages, they're, they're Jesus' last words to his disciples, either before he goes up on the mountain or just before he ascends to heaven. It says, And he said to them, As you go into all the world, preach openly, the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. And these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking poison or anything poisonous, and they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. Luke, accounting for this same uh, address by Jesus in Luke 24, 47-49, he says this, Now you must go into all the nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem, for you are my witnesses and have seen for yourselves all that has transpired. And I will send the fulfillment of the Father's promise to you. So stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. So let me ask you a question. The passage in Mark. Who does that apply to? Does it apply only to church leaders? To the picture-perfect Christian life? To those who have never failed or made mistakes? just the elite? Is it just for the radicals? Is it just for the disciples? Just the extroverts? Who does this apply to? Is it just the old or or just the young? Just the single? Just those without kids? No, he says, who, he says, these miracle signs will accompany those who believe. So who does it apply to? Anyone who believes. This is what it says. It says, They will drive out demons in the power of my name. They will speak in tongues. They will 
be supernaturally protected and they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. This isn't the call of God for the elite, for the pastors, for the leaders. This is the call of God for anyone who believes. So with that in mind, let me ask you, how are you doing with this call of God on your life? See, so often we can look at our lives and we can look at the call of God on our lives. And we think, well, it must be for this profession or that profession. But I believe that the call of God is for the believers to raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, and to do that wherever they are. If, if God has opened the doors for you to be a nurse, then be a nurse, but while you're doing it, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Maybe he's called you to be an accountant, or, or open the doors for you to be an accountant. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Maybe he's called you to be a stay-at-home mom, Maybe he's opened the doors for you to, to have an at-home business or to be an entrepreneur. God's will for your life in that is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. It's really that simple. It's not for the elite. It's not for just the radicals. This is for anyone. In Mark, it says this is for anyone who believes. Now, you might look at that and think, well, I can't do that. You're absolutely right. You can't. That's why in Luke, Jesus ends it by saying, because I'm, I'm sure the disciples were feeling the same way. In Luke, Jesus ends it by saying, so stay here in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. You see, if we're going to fulfill the call of God on our lives, we need the Holy Spirit. And again, this isn't the call for those who are perfect, the picture-perfect people. This is the call for anyone who believes. It doesn't matter your failure, your mistakes, your sin, whether you feel qualified or not. God is calling you to preach the good news in exactly where you are, in the sphere of influence He's given you, and to do it with power, with the power of heaven, with the Holy Spirit coming upon you, so that you actually are enabled and empowered to heal the sick, to lay your hands on, on people and see them get healed to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to speak in tongues. That is the evidence and the proof. Now again, notice this doesn't say that, that believers will chase after these things, but it says these are the signs that will follow those who believe. You see, so often we get stuck and we think, well, yeah, I'm not sure what God's will for my life is. I don't know what His call on me is. You know, does he know how much I've, how many mistakes I've made, how many wrong choices I've made? But as you can see in the passage, this passage with Peter, Jesus meets him exactly where he's at. He restores him. He doesn't leave him there. He restores him so that he can carry out the call of God on his life. To feed the sheep, to care for the lambs. But not only that, because just a chapter before that, Jesus had met with them and, and given them directives of how they were supposed to go and preach the gospel. That was for Peter also. Peter wasn't exempt of it because of his rejection and his failings. His, his rejection of Christ and his failings. Jesus lays it out clearly. And here's the thing, if you are not out of your element, you're probably not in the call of God for your life. 
God is calling you to something so much bigger than yourself. That's why he's given you the Holy Spirit. To come and wrap around you and empower you. See, we need to recognize that the call of God on our lives is greater than the sum of our failures and the sum of our abilities. He's called us to something so much bigger. So how do we live out this calling? Number one, we need to choose to be humble. Be humble. You see, what pride does is it pride puffs up. Pride causes us to be self-unaware, to not actually recognize where we're at, to think we're doing pretty good on our own, that we don't need help. Yeah, maybe I messed up, but I didn't mess up as bad as somebody else, or, or, or I've done more good things than bad things. That's pride speaking. And in James 4, 6 uh, and Proverbs 3, 34, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see this in Peter's life. When Peter walks in pride, Jesus is very quick to address it and call him out on it. But here, when, when he humbles himself, when Peter humbles himself, Jesus comes alongside him, he meets him where he's at, and he restores him. So if we want God to meet us where we're at, we need to be willing to be humble. In Luke 5.31, uh, this is the time, uh, beginning of Luke, Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. Matthew gives up all the, the tax collector life and he follows Jesus and he invites Jesus to his house and they have a, a feast. And it says there were lots of sinners and unreputable people there. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they hear about it. And they come and they start complaining. And they say, how can Jesus keep such company? And this is Jesus' response. It says, Jesus, in Luke 5.31, Jesus overheard their complaining and said, who goes to the doctor for a cure? Those who are well or those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call those who fail to measure up and bring them to repentance. You see, what we don't realize is that all of us don't measure up. Pride tells us that that we're doing okay, that we measure up, that we've done enough good to offset the bad. It makes us righteous in our own eyes. But humility allows us to recognize that we are the ones that Jesus is talking about. That he has come for every single person, but we need to have the humility to recognize that we're sick and we need a cure. And that cure is, is inviting him into our lives, choosing to follow after him, surrendering our lives. Humility leads to surrender. It allows us to take honest stock of our lives, of where we are at, and then to be able to turn from that to repent and to to choose to follow Jesus, to be restored and to be restored to something so much greater than what we had before. Number two, choose to follow. Jesus wraps up his restoration with Peter. After he tells him how he's going to die and he says this, he says, and then he said, Peter, follow me. This was the second time Peter had been asked to follow him. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus did the same miracle like I said before. And then he says to Peter, Peter, follow me. And Peter walks away from all his fishing and now he's come back to his fishing. He's come back to his old life. And Jesus again comes to him and he says, Peter, follow me. Peter, choose to be obedient. You see, the true evidence of Peter's transformed life, his changed heart, wasn't Jesus calling him because he's calling every single one of them. He called Peter in his failure. 
the true evidence of Peter's changed heart was his obedience to the call of follow me. You see, the word follow here in the Greek, it means to it means properly to be in the same way with, to accompany, specifically as a disciple, to follow. It's not that complicated. We can't be in our old life. Like Peter the fisherman, we can't be fishing and following. We are called to be in the same way with. Following means means aligning ourselves with the way of Jesus. Often we hear about the benefits of Jesus, His peace, His love, but we want to add Him to our life. We want Him to come and join us in fishing so that every day we can have a catch of fish like Peter did here. But you notice what Peter did is, is he actually left the boat. He dove out of the boat, leaving that behind. That's what it means to follow is we come into alignment with the call of God on our lives. We come into alignment with what He's calling us to do. We go the same way. That's why we need repentance because we were going this way and then we repent and now we're going in the same way with. We need to choose obedience. We need to make a choice to follow whatever the cost. And it was in that choice to follow. We know by how Peter died that it was in that choice to follow that Peter moved from just being fond of Jesus to burning with passionate love for him. It was in his choice to follow. Jesus puts it this way. He says, those who love me will obey my commands. It moves us into a deeper love as we walk in obedience to what He's calling us to do, to choose to join our lives to Him. It's what we did in communion a little bit earlier. It's a remembering of the joining of our lives to His life. If we keep reading, as soon as Jesus calls Peter, and He says, Peter, follow me, in verse 20, it says, Then Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know this is John, was following them. This was the disciple who sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper and had asked him, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? So when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus replied, if I decide to let him live until I return, what concern is that of yours? You must still keep on following me. You see, comparison kills calling. We are responsible for our response to Jesus' call to follow. Nobody else's. And in this moment, as soon as Jesus calls him, Peter's first response is to compare himself to John. Well, if that's what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to him? If that's what you're calling me to, what are you calling him to? Comparison always leads to less. That's why Jesus' response is, what concern is of it... What concern is that of yours? Basically saying, hey, mind your own business. Because Jesus knows that it would lead Peter to living in less than what he was called to. So often we can do that. We can compare ourselves to somebody else, the person we think has the perfect life. You know, the Instagram story, the the other family from school, the, the other mom, the other father. 
And we can think, well, obviously they're called, but I can't see how I'm called. And in comparison, it leads us to less because, one, we either think, well, I'm not good enough, so I might as well not even try. I don't measure up to that person. But your your measurement is Jesus, not the person beside you. And it's in coming to Him that He gives you His righteousness. And He says that you will stand. It's in choosing to follow Him that He becomes your standard and His righteousness is imparted to you. You know, we can think, well, I don't have this gifting or that gifting. I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm not eloquent with my words. I'm introverted. I don't like being around people. I don't have the right words to say. I don't have the the biblical expertise. And so we compare ourselves to people around us, and it leads us to living out less than the calling of God on our lives. The second reason that comparison leads to less is that we look at the people around and we think, well, I am doing more than so-and-so. I'm doing a better job than they are. So that's got to be enough. But you aren't them. You aren't called to measure up to them. You're called to measure up to the standard of Jesus. To what He says. He is your standard. And it's by following Him, by aligning yourself with Him, that you receive justification before God. You receive righteousness. You receive grace. You receive peace. He is the one that takes you from broken to perfection. He is the one that takes you from feeling not good enough to recognizing that, that you're called a son of God and a daughter of God. You'll notice that when Jesus restores Peter, he doesn't give him the three-step application to restoration. That should be a sermon title. But he doesn't give him the three-step application to restoration, nor does he give him a prayer to pray to be restored. He just says, follow me. Not follow your neighbor. Not compare yourself to your neighbor. And you need to recognize this morning, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has looked like up to this point, God's calling for you is incredible. He's calling you to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to live His kingdom on earth in whatever sphere He's placed you in. That is his call for you. That's how you have the opportunity to live out resurrection life exactly where you are by being a follower of Jesus. And it's not meant to fit you. It's not meant to be your perfect size. Because if it was, you would never grow or mature. So number three, stop comparing. Because comparison kills calling causes you to live in less. And number four, ask for the Holy Spirit. There's a reason that Luke, that when Jesus uh, tells the disciples in Luke to go and preach the gospel, that he says, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. There's a reason that that the church didn't start exploding until the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. See, we need to be obedient to Jesus' call to follow. Acting out that obedience, it actually, there's a physical act. We believe and then we act on it. Matthew puts it as believing and being baptized. 
Baptism is an act of faith where we act on the belief we have in Jesus. Then we come and, and He pours out the Holy Spirit on us for power so that we can actually live out our calling. So if you look at that and you think, that's too big for me. It is. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. See, if you don't need the Holy Spirit, you're probably not living the fullness of the calling God has on your life. So often in our churches, in our meetings, in our lives, we can get by without the Holy Spirit. And that's really sad because it means we're not living the fullness of the calling of God on our lives. But the incredible promise is that Jesus will meet you where you are. Right where you are, right now. He's in the room with you. And He will meet you there. He will restore you. He'll invite you to follow Him. To live that out by a life of aligning yourself with Him. Of doing what He's asking you to do. Not of comparison, uh, comparing with those around you. And then it's the Holy Spirit who leads us into perfection. God uses broken people, but He doesn't leave them there. God is calling you. He's inviting you to something more. He has so much more for you in your life. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about Jesus. I want you to know that today you can make a choice by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You can make a choice to follow Him. Jesus is saying to you today exactly where you are, come follow me. You might be thinking, well, what's it going to look like in 10 years? But the the response to come follow me is a day-by-day, step-by-step kind of decision. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from. Jesus' call on your life is come follow me. Come see the dead raised, see the sick healed. Come preach the gospel, the good news. Cast out demons. But come follow me. Because it's so much better than the life you had before. Than maybe the life you're living in right now. He has so much more for you. More than you could imagine. Just like calling Peter from being a fisherman to be a fisher of man. To be a leader in the church to feed the sheep. Something so much greater than he could have imagined. That is what Jesus is calling you to. And you can decide to do that right now. So I want to I pray for you. But I also want to pray for you if you've been in the church for a long time. Because sometimes we think that being in the church gives us safety. We don't have to be a follower. We don't have to be obedient. But the call for you, as someone who says you're a follower of Christ, is to follow Christ. To live out what He's calling you to do. Not to compromise, not to to compare, but to be humble, to recognize where you're at, and then to live out what He's calling for you. So as we close, I want to pray for, for both of you. And you can put your hand up wherever you are. If you're choosing to follow Jesus today for the first time, He sees your heart. You can put your hand up right now. Or if this has been a a process for you, if you've been saying that you're a Christian, but you haven't really been following Jesus, and I want to pray for you too. Let's pray. Jesus, you see our hearts. 
you know where we've failed and where we've messed up. And we just come and we say we're sorry for that this morning. You see where we've allowed our failures to convince us that, that we're not called anymore. And we're sorry for that. You see where we've lived in less than what you've called us to. And we just repent of all of those things this morning. We turn away from them and we come into alignment with you. This morning we choose to respond to your invitation and to follow you. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, right now to come and restore us, refresh us, come and fill us so that we can be empowered to be obedient, to live out the call that you have on our lives for us. Thank you that you see me, you see us, you see each hand that's up. You know them and you are restoring them and leading them to yourself. Leading them from brokenness to perfection. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if this morning, if you felt like you wanted to welcome Jesus into your life for the first time, the Bible says that the next step after choosing to follow Jesus and confessing with your mouth is choosing to be baptized. And we would love to get you connected with some resources on baptism, but also some resources to help you uh, start your journey with Jesus. We'd love to get you connected with some people who will encourage you on that journey. So we would love for you to reach out to us. Use the contact form above or in the chat. Let us know uh, what you decided today so that we can support you. Also, if you'd like prayer this morning, we have the live prayer feature. Feel free to use that. Uh, We just want to bless you guys. Have an awesome uh, day today. Celebrate your mothers. Don't forget to give them a call. Okay? Call your mothers. This is your this is your reminder right now. Call your mom. Send her flowers. Whatever you need to do. Um, but just let's celebrate them. For all the mothers watching, happy Mother's Day. We love you and we're so thankful for you. Bless you guys. Have an awesome day.